Hello, you are tuned in to another episode of PGH Art Talk as part of pghmuseums.org's artist interview series. I am RJ Kozain, and today you are listening to an interview with landscape oil painter, amongst other kind of areas of art, Brian McCormick. You can find him online a lot under gallery.bry, B-R-Y, and I'm telling you, if you are an artist or any creative type, or any type, really, who wants to learn how to fit more into your day, whether it's singing, painting, dancing, uh, finding things to do while you're doing errands, just business spreadsheets, I don't know what you do during the day, um, you're going to want to grab a pen and paper and uh, sit down for this one, because there's so many tips that Brian gave me and I have been implementing them almost every day. We're going to start right at the beginning and just hop into the interview with Brian. I was perusing your Etsy last night and mm-hmm. saw so many different things. So I just wanted to start off right off the bat, which is asking in your own words, mm-hmm. what do you do? Like what materials do you work with? What kind of painter are you? Yeah. So, you know, I think like a lot of painters or maybe not, I don't know, but I definitely work with a lot of materials, but then there are some materials that I work with a little bit more than others. So, you know, certainly sketchbooks, you know, pen and ink. I don't really do a lot of like graphite, charcoal, that sort of thing, just because it always seemed messy to me. And then you always had to like fix it with a fixative. So I do a lot of sketching with pen and ink. I really like brush pens. They're fantastic because you can get really sharp points and you can get really broad strokes. And it's also really good for brush lettering, which I have found is really nice for your packaging when you're painting. And I I like watercolor, but I actually got into gouache a little bit more. What is gouache? Gouache, I'm yes. Cut you off right there because yes. I don't know. Gouache is a medium that was really traditionally used with illustrators. So think of all the old timey like sign paintings, or not necessarily sign paintings, but like ads in old magazines and things like that. Okay. So it's kind of a crossover between watercolor and say oil painting Mm -hmm. because it's a water-based medium, but it is also opaque. So it's easier to get into. It's a nice transition from say like a watercolor into oils because it's easy to clean up. You don't need solvents. And you can also start building layers. So it's it's really nice for going out and painting in the field or, or plein air, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Just going to museums, airplanes, like all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic for traveling. This naturally led into me asking where does Brian paint when he's out in public? We do a lot of these interviews in people's studios and this is no exception, but there's so many beautiful landscapes that he paints Pittsburgh or not. And you've got to go outside to get some inspiration for that, right? Recently, I've been doing a lot of stuff in the studio. And certainly if I go on different trips and things like that, I'm always going to be taking, you know, usually my gouache set with me. Um, Not so much oils. 
Um, but I would like to start taking my oils more places. I do oils locally. So I have a, a French easel over in there in the corner that they're really great. They're heavy. They're kind of like brick houses, which is nice because they're not going to blow over in the wind. You need that, yeah. Um, but they're really nice. They can house a lot of different things in there. I also have a, a light aluminum easel that I'll take out into the field. I like to go to places like Shenley Park, you know, sometimes after work because it's on my way home. And it's really a fantastic place because you have that view of the city and it, you get that atmospheric perspective there. And it's really, really nice. So, yeah. Off in my head when I heard he goes to Shenley Park after work, because I know myself and over the years, uh, the majority of people who I've worked with and that I know have full-time jobs, after those eight hours or more, you just want to kind of like chill out. So the fact that he continues his work after led me right into the conversation that we have a lot on this podcast is how do you strike a balance between day-to-day kind of mundane or professional life and creativity? And this is where you're going to want to get your pen and paper out. Yeah, and I think a lot of painters, even if they're painting, quote, full-time, a lot of people have multiple streams of income. Um, I think there are probably few people that just paint and make 100% of their income from the paintings. Everyone who paints should, but they don't. (laughs) Right. And so I think a lot of people teach, a lot of people do workshops, and then a lot of people paint. There's, you know, YouTube. I mean, there's so many things to generate multiple streams of income. And I think that's really smart Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So for me, it is nice. I would like to eventually transition into a more painting-based stream of income. But right now, it is nice having a job that has that steady stream of income coming in, health insurance, those different types of things. But it's really, for me, about carving time out throughout the day. And I try to talk about this a lot in YouTube videos or on Instagram about, it's really about finding that little bit of time. And people always say, you know, I don't have time to paint. Well, maybe you don't. That's always possible. But I would be willing to guarantee that someone has at least maybe five to 10 minutes a day that they can carve out. Um, For me, I usually do it in the morning when I'm getting up, getting ready for work. I'll usually take an hour in the morning. I'll do an oil painting in the morning. So all of these in the morning before work because when I get home, I'm I'm usually just sacked because I'm just tired and I, I eat dinner. And usually it's because like I get home and I eat dinner and then I'm just like, you know, I'm tired. So I reserve a lot of kind of, I guess, operational things for the evenings. So I'll, I'll prime panels, I'll gesso them, and then I'll also wash brushes sometimes. But I've gotten pretty good with my brush management so that I don't have to do that a lot. And I can always talk about that later on if you want me to. Yeah. But it's it's all about, for me, carving time throughout the day. Um, lunchtime, I'll go to Starbucks and I'll drop people. So I okay. used to take, I have a little Peshad box over there, which is basically just like a travel box that you can paint in. Mm-hmm. And I would take that, but I decided that like recently I want to focus a little bit more on drawing, kind of honing those skills down. So I'll just go to Starbucks, you know, have my, you know, decaf Americano, and then I'll just do quick gesture sketches of people. And there's just something about working from life that really forces you to work fast and quickly. 
Yes. So, so I carve all these different things out. So it's usually morning, lunch, and then evening. So it's it's a full day. You know, it's probably 18-hour day between, like, full-time job, this. It's, you know, you really have to dedicate a lot of time to it. And whether you have a full-time job and whether you don't have a full-time job is void because I know artists who have tried to do the thing without the job and then they're worried about health insurance. And I mean, you're preoccupied, job or not, a lot of the time during the day. I have the management down. I can pretty much handle spreadsheets and logistics of anything that 2020K music has to offer at any given time, especially in the evening because it's a little mindless. But to get going and prep myself and find those little niches of time, are they feel impossible. But as we continued, Brian just kept giving all these little nuggets to me and to all of you uh, as to what you can do to kind of fit everything in. Well, and I even heard a story one time. There was uh, a guy who wanted to get more creative time into his day, and he didn't have a lot of time. So he figured out that he had five minutes in the morning when he was putting his tea in the kettle. And so he kept a sketchbook next to the kettle. So while the water was boiling, he would sketch out a teacup. And he had like 365 teacups throughout the year. So, you know, sometimes it's not about how much you can do, it's about the momentum. And if you can keep even like a small thing going for a long period of time, then when you do have more time to expand a little bit, you now have the momentum going. So instead of starting from just, you know, a dead stop, you can expand that momentum a little bit more and it makes it a little bit easier. Yes. And there's so many times where I'm doing something like making tea Mm -hmm. and I wish that I have like something next to me that I could do something now I just know to implement it. Right. And it reminds me, I read a book, uh, it's called Daily Rituals. Mm-hmm. It's just like all of these creatives and like even political figures who would log their day almost hour by hour. Absolutely. And they would do the same thing every day and do what you're saying. It's just right. carve the time in. Yeah. And I've definitely, you know, tried to do that as well. I mean, it's it's even to the point now where if I'm at a red light, I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram, I'm commenting, I'm, you know, connecting with people. I mean, every ounce of time that I have, I mean, I, you know. And then the other thing that I'm going to have to figure out how to do is these are all for a show, so I don't have them posted for sale yet. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, I'm going to have to figure out how to like post everything to Etsy and get everything up there. So yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yes, it's always a lot. Okay. He mentioned work for his show. And as much as I could babble on about how to fit in creativity during the day, we are here for Brian McCormick. And I wanted to know what the show is and what it is. A friend of mine told me about this. So it's the, the fun a day show 2020 it's at the the casey droge project space in wilkinsburg Mm -hmm. so everybody just made one thing a day or you know there was no hard rules it was like that's the goal but if you know you make a skip a day or whatever no big deal and so it's usually you know one thing a day for january and they're gonna have the show i think the the opening is the 29th at like six o'clock That's the 29th of February, and this is coming out before then, so plan your day accordingly, and it is up until March 8th, I checked their website. We were surrounded in Brian McCormick's studio with a lot of landscapes, but 
Every time I looked in a different direction, or if I looked on his Etsy or his Instagram, gallery.bry, I found something different along the way that wasn't really landscapey. So I wanted to know what he would go and uh, try to do that wasn't primarily what he's known for. So landscapes, just for me, they're they're pretty easy to crank out because they're a little forgiving. You know, if you're doing tight realism with the figure, I mean, I would not be able to do one a day. You know, so so for something like this, it's a little bit more expressive and it's a landscape, you know, if a bush or a shadow is just a little bit more this way, people aren't gonna be like, hey, wait a minute, that's out of place. So I would hope not. <laughs> you're right. So so with that, I do like the landscape paintings. I do really enjoy figure drawing and figure painting, and I'm trying to hone that a little bit more. Um, I really like the the ink washes with the, like the Japanese brush, like the Sumi paintings, that sort of thing. So, and those are, you know, pretty easy to do because that style is just quick marks. It's not a lot of detail. It's actually supposed to be the essence of the shapes. And so I really like that style. Um, I kind of bounce back and forth between liking to work on a painting with a little bit more detail, layering it, building it up, working it over time. And then, you know, I also like these little like tasty tidbits that I can just crank out in an hour or so and move on to the next thing. So there's like two sides of my personality that really likes to be like, oh, moving on to the next project, I'm going to do another painting, another painting, another painting. And then, you know, I'll usually have like one or two larger ones that I'm going to work on, build up a little bit more. And they're usually commissions. You know, if someone's commissioning a painting, I'm usually going to put a lot more time into that instead of just whipping it out in like an hour or so and be like, done, (laughs) you know, so. And from there, I just got curious of when he wants to paint a landscape versus a person or something else. We get pretty quickly derailed with another kind of nugget of what you can do to fit in creativity and the most out of your day. So that pen and paper that you set aside, we're not done with it yet. Pick it up. I definitely have found that my energy levels are definitely, you know, higher earlier in the day. Once I wake up, I'm up and I'm ready to go. What's your secret to that? I have no idea. I've just, (laughs) I'm still dragging. I need coffee and I don't even know what to wake up. It's like one o'clock during the week at work where I'm like, I'm on. Yeah. I get there at eight. So the hardest part for me is just getting out of the bed. Okay. Once I'm out of bed, then I'm up, you know, and you know, I, I'm not like, Oh, I need to go back and take a nap. I've, you know, I've never really been much of a napper. Definitely not a napper. I feel like you have to fill the day. Like you said, like it's an 18 hour day all of the time, basically. When I nap, I just get mad at myself. (laughs) But if that's the secret, I don't know if I can work with that, but I'll try. Yeah. I guess. You can do it. Yes. But as far as the the subject matter, definitely I would probably be willing to say that I would probably be doing something that's maybe a little bit more detailed earlier in the day. Okay. And then, you know, I'll do the the ink washes in the evening just because I have an easel. You know, this is the other thing too, is I have painting and easels and sketchbooks at pretty much like every place in my house, in my car. Um, So that's another tip that I'll mention. But um, I have the the Sumi paintings out in the kitchen. So that way I can be making dinner and I can just go over and then I can just brush that a little bit and then go over cook dinner a little bit more. But that really is a nice secret in that if you have it in front of you, 
you're going to be more likely to do it and you're going to be more likely to feel that you have the time to do it. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, playing an instrument or something like that. If you have it in the case, in the closet, you're going to be less likely to go in because it's a process. But, you know, yes. I have my guitar sitting out in the open. I've heard once that Keith Richards kept his guitar next to his bed so that when he would dream up a riff, he would just wake up, grab his guitar, and he'd be able to play it and then yeah. remember it. Yeah. So it's that immediacy of removing any kind of barriers to entry and having it right in front of you. Oh, it makes me so happy to hear and listen back to this to make this podcast version. Brian McCormick is just full of so many tips for how to fill your day with creativity. I've taken in a lot of uh, the things that he said in this interview and implemented them into my daily life as best as I can. Old habits die hard. Uh, and... Um, yeah, hopefully you're taking notes and paying attention. This is our talk with pghmuseums.org. I am RJ Kozane, your host. I couldn't do this without you guys. I couldn't do it if you were listening. Whether you're a member or not, thank you so much. If you're interested in becoming a member, it's $20 for a full year. It gets you some uh, percentages off admissions to galleries, museums. There's a class in there that you can take with some percentages off as well. And some gift shops, too, are offering some discounts there. We're working really hard. We're volunteer ran here. I uh, have a blog up on pghmuseums.org full of articles of the happenings that are around the city of Pittsburgh. There's also a calendar where we add events as best we can when things are happening around the city and the, the, the greater state of Pennsylvania, really. We're looking to branch out. We're looking to uh, do the best we can to support the art scene in the area and beyond. So thank you so much for tuning in. Getting back into our interview with Brian McCormick, I wanted to circle back to when he wants to paint a landscape uh, versus when he wants to do some line work or something else. And if mood or work or anything really affects when he does something versus the other. Because when I make music, I can spend a lot of time working on the intricate parts of a synth to make something ambient or a pad or something um, when I'm calm and I feel like there's not a lot going on in the day. But if I'm stressed or if I've had a really long day at work or day in general, I usually just go for the more immediate kind of like maximalist pop star kind of mode. Uh, I was interested because you look at his landscapes and they're very calming and peaceful. It can also be very busy depending on what you look at. And same with the, the people that he draws. So we just jumped right into that point of conversation. So like these works over here remind me of like, it's just so tranquil to me mm -hmm. and chill. And I'm just like, okay, this is like ambient RJ. Whereas this is like, I'm awake. I've had five cups of coffee. Let's be a pop star. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it really goes back to again, that now it's just become like a habit for me, you mm -hmm. know, it's, you know, this is, you know, what I do in the morning, you know, I, I make these in the morning, I do the the brush paintings in the evening, you know, usually work um, something a little bit more detail. Um, the commissions that I've been doing, a lot of those, since there is actually more detail, actually, I'm kind of contradicting what I said before. Um, I was doing those in the evening after work, just because um, I had a, a time limit on those and I had to deliver them by a certain time. So oh, yeah. deadlines change everything. Change yes. the whole world. <laughs> yes. Um, which is one of the reasons I actually tended not to do commissions, but 
the money's good. So, um, and you know, when someone presents something that is in a line with something that I like doing before, I would just, I would take things on just because, you know, people would say, Hey, can you do this? And I'd just be like, yes, 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 of course, absolutely. Um, and then it would just stress me out because it wouldn't be something that, you know, was in the realm of, you know, what I did often, or it was a different medium or a different subject matter. Um, but now if someone comes to me and says, you know, I want a landscape or something like this, or, you know, whatever that might be, I'm a little bit more likely to do it just because, Yeah. We talked about comfort zones and how that's led him to push into painting more Pittsburgh-oriented pieces. I don't know that I've really done anything that's been too far out of my comfort zone. I know that I've had some people ask me to do some things that have been a little bit more structural with buildings in them. And while you know I do some of that and I'll sketch that a lot, I don't necessarily feel comfortable with the results to deliver that as a commissioned painting to someone. So I've kind of turned those down, even though I'd really like to start doing that a lot more just because these are nice to do landscape paintings from around the world, but ultimately I'd really like to start painting Pittsburgh, you know, and what's around you. And I think that's ultimately kind of what kind of makes a painter in a way in that, you know, this kind of, When you see somebody's work, you can tell like, oh, this is where they were from, you know, like Van Gogh painted just his neighborhood and, you know, Sargent painted, you know, the people that, you know, that he knew or, you know, worked with that sort of thing. So I would definitely like to start doing Pittsburgh a little bit more. Um, So I really haven't done anything that's been too far out of my comfort zone. Okay. Painting Pittsburgh is always fun, uh, but Brian goes out and paints different areas of the world sometimes, and I wasn't sure whether he's visited all of these places that are titled on Etsy around the globe, or how he went out and sourced everything, and that just led into that conversation. No, I do use some, you know, photo references, um, mostly from the parks around here. You know, I have some paintings that are from Shenley Park and Point State Park, that sort of thing. Some of them come from just people that I know and they'll, you know, I don't know what it is about this summer, but everybody seemed to be in like Banff and Alberta, which is a place that I really want to go. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, um, can I paint that picture? And they're like, sure. Yeah. You know, cause cool. they're not like professional photographers selling that work, that sort right. of thing. So it's not like copyrighted anything. So I would get it from that. Um, sometimes too, just Instagram. If I see something again, you know, if the person is not a professional photographer, like if I saw something from national geographic and I'm like, Hey, can I paint that? They're going to be like, yeah, no, that's <laughs> right. Cop- Let's that's go legal. It's going to take about like three years. Exactly. Uh, maybe you can paint. Yeah. It. So there's definitely been a lot of Instagram photos that I've seen and I've just messaged a person and said like, Hey, you know, can I paint this? And a lot of times they're like, absolutely. Nice. Um, and sometimes it turns into a sale because it's their own picture and they really like it. And so, so that's, actually something that works out pretty well. Um, but for like these, since I was trying to do one a day and I'm trying to continue doing one painting a day because it's built up such a great momentum and it just, um, makes it a lot more fluid with just doing everything. It's just, it's kind of like a flow state. Mm -hmm. Um, I found this thing it's called map crunch. So basically it's like Google maps, but Every time you hit the button, it takes you to a random place in the world. 
And I'll just sit there on my phone and I'll just hit the button until I find a composition that I like. And then sometimes it takes a while, you know, because sometimes it's like an alleyway or, you know, which some people can paint those amazingly well. Um, And I would like to get to the point where, you know, I could do that and be confident with it. But I'm usually looking for like big, big shapes, you know, big cloud structures, big, um, you know, like here, you know, there's like a road, that's a big shape over here, the lake, that's another big shape. The sky wasn't that busy, but I'm usually looking for something that has four to five big shapes that you can break down into a composition. And sometimes it takes a while hitting that button. And sometimes when you're pressed for time, you just got to like take whatever you get and be like, well, this is my favorite, but I'm going to go with it for today. And just, you know, I've realized that, um, not every painting is going to be my favorite painting. It's more about getting the process done and doing it. And then that'll enable me to move on to other paintings that I like a little bit more. Yeah. The painting world and the music world go hand in hand sometimes with technology, and we've explored a lot of different avenues, whether they're similar, whether they're not on this podcast. When he brought up trying to use technology to find different landscapes to paint, it just reminded me of when I'll use something called Splice. It's splice.com, and it's basically samples that producers have thrown up and are royalty-free that you can uh, go through one by one, hit the button, down, 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 do I want this? kick drum yeah no maybe and then when you find the one that's perfect you download it and stick it in your song and then kind of like compose manipulate it and go from there uh this conversation that we had with this led into how technology can be used in a positive way to influence artistry i think at every stage of the game and at least modern and contemporary art, I think some sort of technology has impacted the way that, you know, artists have created every media. The invention of the camera definitely helped people to, you know, shift away from that. You know, I think that was one of the things that probably brought on impressionism because prior to that, people were trying to be as detailed and realistic as possible. Well, now the camera can do that. Well, what are we going to do now? You're going to have to go the opposite direction. So, We can find Brian McCormick everywhere on the internet. It's, again, gallery.bry, B-R-Y. And I was interested in sagging from the technological aspect of our conversation into where can we see you in the real world? I definitely have started doing live painting recently, and I can't even remember specifically how I got into it. Um, probably I just got more comfortable being out painting because I would go to the park and paint and people would always come out, come up and say like, Oh, you know, well, what, you know, what are you doing? Are you painting? That <laughs> the sort nosy of thing. people in the park. Yeah. You know, so, and, and that's great because for me, I think one of the things that I like so much about painting is not only the results and it's a very, I started doing it because it's a very meditative, calming thing, Mm -hmm. but now I've discovered that it's an amazing way to connect with people. You know, just if you're there painting, people are going to come up and talk to you. Sometimes you don't always want that because you're just like, I just want to be in my zone, but it's still a good story (laughs) at the end of the day. It's fine. Absolutely. So the connection that you make with people is fantastic. So I started by just doing it on my own in the park. And then I think one thing just led to another and, um, maybe I haven't just pitched it and just said like, Hey, I would live paint at your, you know, charity fundraiser, that sort of thing. So I've done 
a couple of those. I've got a, a couple more lined up. And it, that is a really great thing to do. It's it's really a win-win for both parties. You know, you're providing something of value to their organization. You're providing something unique that yeah. people can see and witness. Because I think for the most part, to the general public, painting is kind of this like mystical thing that they don't, you don't know how like how does this end result come about and like how does it happen like how do you start do you do it like a printer do you you know so for people to see how a painting is created and how maybe like it's drawn out and you start from like general to the specific and so i think that's kind of a good thing for people to see that and then it's also good for the the creator as well because you know you're getting your name out there you're making connections and again it's just a great way to connect with people um you know and share that Bringing up community in art is an underrated topic, I think. And listening to Brian talk about how it brings people together is uh, something that just made me want to explore those realms in the future. Uh, It's such a solitary experience being an artist and creating because you're, you're sitting alone with your canvas or with your digital audio workspace and making something that's for you before you deliver it out into the world. I touched on this a lot with Slow Danger in the previous podcast where community is such a huge part of what they do and everything they do is its own huge community. And it's just something that, I mean, you're in a gallery like the Carnegie Museum, and you're just staring at the painting, but you don't know what that artist is going through at that time. And it's it's an interesting topic. How do we like fuse the emotions that the the painter has gone through with the person who's viewing it and uh, make a connection beyond the art? Cycling back, though, we just talked about the more solitary aspects of creation, and I wanted to know how he, when he's solo, alone, wherever he's at, starts a piece. When I was growing up, it was always one of those things where, you know, you just see somebody that can draw really well, and you just think, oh, you know, they just have this natural facility, and they can just pour it right out of their brain onto mm-hmm. the page, and it's just detail straight out of their hand. And while there are a lot of people that can do that. It's taking them years to be able to develop that skill. And the way that I approach it is you really have to break it down into the, the simplest things possible. And actually, a, a lot of professional artists that um, do really detailed work start this way. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, you know, with a landscape, you might just say, um, let's just break it up into the sky and then the the land. And so you draw one line. So now you have two big shapes. And then you break those two big shapes down into smaller shapes. And then those shapes into smaller shapes and then smaller shapes. And it just goes so on and so on and so on. And you can actually do this with the figure too. It's called enveloping where you basically just draw like a big geometric shape to get the general height and the width of something. So you might start off and say, you know, I'm going to draw a line down at your feet and then the head and then the width. And then from there, you might get the angles from like your head to your shoulder. And then from there, it's just, you work from the general all the way down to the more specific. And eventually you have something that's very detailed. And I've found that to be very liberating in that 
when I approach something, I don't have to worry so much about it being perfect because I know that I can generally just keep working it down into more and more detail over time. Listening to Brian explain his process is astounding. And when I was reading through email correspondence with him and his signature, he mentioned lessons. I taught at Propel, one of the Propel charter schools through an opportunity with WYEP. And I know it's not easy across all age levels, experience levels to teach something. Uh, But when you listen to the way that Brian is going into detail and I'm not a painter and I just picked up so many different kinds of perspective just from that answer. Uh, yes, Brian should be teaching <laughs> and giving these private lessons. And I just, I wanted to know how he got into that and what we could expect out of uh, a class with Brian. Always really liked teaching. So for me, it's just a natural transition to want to take painting and be able to teach people how to do it. So through my job, I do a lot of lectures for local universities. So it's something that I've just kind of, you know, developed over time. Um, I'm very comfortable with it, you know, getting up in front of a big group of people and talking about different things. So it's just a natural transition to take that and then move it over into another skill and then be able to pass that along to people. Um, and I've just always had this thing where I would just always just connect something that people already kind of know how to do and like relate that to, to something else. So take something that's like abstract and complex and relate that to something that is commonplace and that people know already. Um, so I've always kind of had like a, a thing for like doing that. And that's kind of how I make sense of the world too. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the way that I'll describe things, um, you know, people be like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's a weird way to describe that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I, I really like doing that. And I haven't done any lessons yet, but... I was approached when I was painting in the park and, you know, the family wanted to know if I would, you know, do some lessons for their kids. And I was like, sure, why not? Um, And I think that's another thing too, is sometimes you just have to jump in, you know, you're never going to be pushing yourself as healthy. You're never going to be fully ready for whatever it is you're going to be doing, whether it's starting a podcast or a YouTube channel, you know, you want to have some things in place before you get started, but you know, sometimes you just have to jump in it and then you'll figure things out as you go. And so that's probably what I'm going to end up doing. Um, you know, I definitely have a background in in teaching, um, giving lectures, you know, I'm not a teacher by trade, but, um, I feel that it's something that I would be able to do with painting as well. So if anybody's interested in learning how to oil paint, I can certainly, you know, start from there and you really have to know your audience. So whenever I'm giving a lecture, I will always try and figure out, um, who the students are, you know, what their majors are, what they're going to be practicing, what they're going to be doing so that I can tailor my conversation to them. So if someone wanted to learn how to paint, you know, especially for the kids, um, you have to figure out how old are the kids? they have any experience in painting, um, what do they want to paint? So you have to give people options. Some people might want to come in and they might just want to learn the basics. Like I just want to come in and do, you know, an hour and make a landscape and go home. Yeah. 
other people might want to come in and say, you know, I want to learn the basics of oil painting. I want to learn how to mix colors. I want to learn composition. I want to learn values. I want to learn, you know, te color temperature, you know, all those details. Then you're going to have a more like of a buildup. So you're going to have first lesson, second lesson. So you really just have to know your audience. If that didn't make you want to immediately reach out to Brian and ask for a lesson, I don't know what will. That made me want to stop recording this podcast and shoot him an email immediately asking when he's free. We end out with Brian McCormick just asking where online, offline, can we see you in person? How do we get a commission? How do we take a class? How do we get in contact with you? So people can find me on, you know, Instagram, Etsy, Facebook. My my handle's pretty much the same. It's gallery, G-A-L-L-E-R-Y dot B-R-Y. So just Google Gallery Bry. I'm the only Gallery Bry. It'll come up. Yes. You'll be able to find me. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can e email me. You can call me. Um, I don't know if you put contact information and in show notes, that sort of thing. or We do now. <laughs> I don't know if we do. So read the description of this podcast. And if it's down there, it's down there. If it's not, you know how to get them. I am RJ Kozane. This was a conversation with Brian McCormick. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of PGH Art Talk with pghmuseums.org. And if you want to be on the show, shoot us an email, explore at pghmuseums.org, or just tap me on the shoulder if I'm in a coffee shop or something and you're an artist. Show me your sketchbook, please. If it's not too much. That sounds like fun. And uh, let's get you on the show. Thank you so much again to everyone who supported this, and we'll see you next time. PGH Museums is made possible through our affiliates such as the Punxsutawney Weather Discovery Center. The Punxsutawney Weather Discovery Center is an interactive science center devoted to weather and weather folklore located in a century-old former post office in a town who's known for its weather-predicting groundhog. The Punxsutawney Weather Discovery Center lets you become a tornado, make a thunderstorm, or even be a TV weather forecaster. We met up with the center's executive director, Marlene Leelock, to see if she's ever been caught playing with the green screen. <laughs> yes, don't tell my board, but uh, yes, we play with the green screen all the time. It's fun. It's uh, If you've never been in front of one of them, uh, you can pretend that you're doing the weather. Uh, you can also take one of the green capes that we have and make your body disappear. So, you know, there's all kinds of fun things that you can do with it. Has she ever forged a weather forecast and predicted a catastrophe? I can't say that I've done that, but that gives me some food for thought. <laughs> you can create your own weather apocalypse forecast and learn everything the center has to offer at the Punxsutawney Weather Discovery Center. Discover more at weatherdiscovery.org.